Hello and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. And we are continuing our series on the theme for the month, Breaking Forth, Part 2. Our text for today is still the same text we used last week. I'm going to read the text and then we're going to take a very short quiz. It's just three questions. It's going to pop up on your device that you're watching with and I'll ask us to respond to that after reading the word. Isaiah 54, verse 1 to 4, says, Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that did not travel with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitation. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Verse 4, fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. May the Lord bless the reading of his word for the salvation of our soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as I said, um, I'm going to give us a short quiz. The purpose of the quiz is just to to, um, give us an overview of a background um, into the book of Isaiah. But the questions should be on our screens now, just... Three questions about the Bible. There is no, um, yeah, no, it's not a competition, basically. So no pressure. <laughs> Just to respond as you deem fit. Each of the questions have got options. So choose the one you think is right. The first question says, how many books are in the Bible altogether? Um, and there are four options there. The second one says, how many books are in the Old Testament? And then lastly, the third one, how many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? I'll just give us 30 seconds. It doesn't take long. It's either you know or you don't know. So, <laughs> And there's no point Googling it. Um, so let's just let's do that sharply. I'm already seeing the responses coming in. Um, I can tell that. 11 of us have voted so far, so now 12 of us. Once we reach 20, 25 of us, I would stop the poll and then I'll I'll share the results so that all of us will see on our screens what our results are. How many books are in the Bible altogether? How many books are in the Old Testament? How many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? Three very cheap questions. Okay, 22 of us have responded. That's 61% of us, uh, according to Zoom. So 
of course, I'm not participating and I'm on with two devices. So that's short two of us. Okay, waiting for just one more person. We have 24 of us that have responded so that our response is valid as a representation of all of us in that sense. At least then we would have two thirds of us, if I'm correct. If my mathematics is still a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think we have two thirds now. Um, so I'm going to end the poll and share the results for us. Okay, so as you probably should be seeing now, for the first question, how many books are in the Bible? Someone said 56, and a few people said 76, but most of us said 66, and of course the correct answer is 66. How many books are in the Old Testament? Few people said 30, some said 40, <laughs> some others said 49, and most of us, at least almost a little above half of us said 39, and that's the correct answer. And lastly, how many chapters are in the book of Isaiah? Again, most of us said 66, which is the correct answer. Now, why did I ask that? I asked that because I wanted us to be familiar with something about just a curious fact about the book of Isaiah as we move on into um, the rest of the message. So the book of Isaiah is, like we said, 66 chapters, and there are 66 books in the Bible. So Bible scholars have actually come to the point of believing that Isaiah, in some sense, is almost like a miniature of the entire Bible. It's like the Bible summarized in yet one of the books of the Bible, because the prophet Isaiah was so, so detailed and so insightful into God's heart in terms of his prophecy, such that he was given details about things that, I mean, just for example, in chapter 53, which is the chapter before chapter 54 that we are considering, it talks about this prophecy about Jesus, how Jesus will be killed, how Jesus would be punished for our sins with very graphic details that shows that he will be crucified. And as of that time, in fact, 700 years till after he was prophesying, 700 years afterwards, was when the Romans will invent crucifixion. So even when he was prophesying about someone being crucified, there was no means as of that time of such a punishment for anyone. That has not been devised. The Romans would devise that mechanism 700 years, seven centuries later. That was how insightful and spot on Isaiah was. The other thing I wanted us to know about the book of Isaiah is also that if you read through the book from the beginning to the end, it almost feels, and some scholars have actually thought that there were two Isaiahs. So they will say there is Isaiah 1, there is Isaiah 2, in the sense that the language and the structure of the first 39 chapters, and then the language and the structure of the last 27 chapters, they are two different kind of books indeed. The first 39 chapters is all about woes and judgment and, and Isaiah just prophesying against the, the people of Israel for their disobedience and all of that. But once you enter into Isaiah chapter 40, once you start or turn over the page to Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort ye my people. Until the end of the book of Isaiah, you keep seeing all of these precious promises. Many of the promises we like to claim to ourselves today come from that latter part. 
And of course, again, it, it looks like that switch between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament begins with John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 begins with that prophecy that someone is going to come and prepare the way for the Lord. And that was exactly what John the Baptist began to do when Jesus' ministry was going to kick off. I say all of that to make us one, see that the path that we are considering, where God has given us this theme for this month from, is in a sense, in the new covenant context of the book of Isaiah, if you will, is the part of the book of Isaiah where God is coming to speak restoration, to speak of his glory, to speak of him bringing his people back. It's in that part of the book of Isaiah that you hear, forget the things of the past, remember not the things of old, for behold, I will do a new thing. Arise and shine for the light is come. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1. Darkness covers the earth, gross darkness the people, but you, but you will be the light. Kings will come to your to the brightness of your rising. And it goes on and on with lots and lots and lots of those kind of prophecies in that part. But the Lord has given us this beautiful um, theme from the book of Isaiah chapter 54. Um, actually, our theme for the month comes from verse, um, verse 3 in that book. It says in verse 3 of chapter 54, For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left hand, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And as I was reading that chapter again from the King James Version, which is why I've actually quoted from the King James Version in the text that we read, I noticed that breakfast had actually appeared once in that chapter before we got to, to verse 3. It was in the very first verse that we saw the first um, mention of breakfast, breakfast in verse 1. It says, Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear. Break forth into singing, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that did not travel with child, for more are the children of the desolate, for more are the children of the desolate. And as I look at the two breakfasts within those, those four verses, the Holy Spirit began to minister to my heart to say, the first one is an instruction, the second one is a promise. It's the promise that we have received as a theme. But the Holy Spirit is saying to me, to claim the promise is to obey the instruction. To claim the promise is to obey the instruction. To claim the promise is to obey the instruction. And what's the instruction? It, again, we see that in verse 1. Sing, O barren, you that did not bear, you that have not traveled, break forth into singing. You remember when we talked about the faith of our fathers, we divine faith as our confident obedience to God's word, our confident obedience to the word of God in spite of our circumstances or in spite of whatever the consequences may be, our confident obedience to God's word. And what is God's word to us this morning? It's in that first verse that I want us to just dwell. It's, it's a reminder of that which is obvious, a reminder of that which we know. But just like Pastor Mrs. was telling us a few Sundays back at the growth track, there are times that we need to remind ourselves of some of the very basic things or basic principles of the scriptures so that by the remembrance and application of them, 
we can do that or lay hold on that which God has actually promised us as his people. And so we want to we want to break forth into singing this morning. As a matter of fact, the, the title that I've given this uh, short charge, if you will, is Where is Your Song? In this part two of Break Forth, I'm just asking you this morning, where is your song? And I'm just going to share three biblical insights with us about singing to, to help us leave this service and go into the rest of this week, the rest of this month, and if you will, the rest of your life with a new perspective about the gift of singing, as common as it is, the gift of music, as pervasive as it is, so that we can begin to use it in a way that will be helping us to lay claim on the promises that the Father has for us in his word. And they are many, they are many, they are myriad. But I'll just share with us this morning three biblical insights. The first is that God is passionate about singing. God is very, very passionate about singing. All through the scriptures, there are hundreds of references, over 400 references to singing and about 50 direct instructions where you see something like what you saw in Isaiah 54 verse one, where God just says, sing, sing, especially in the Psalms, sing, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, come into his presence with singing with singing. It would say he has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to my God. Many would see and fear. It's, it's a gift that we, we, can't, we can't begin to fully unpack the mystery behind the preciousness of it on this side of eternity. Because we know that the gift and the, and the usability of song transcends this, this realm of reality because we continue to sing throughout eternity from eternity to eternity. Our destiny is to continue to sing, to continue to worship, to continue to use that brilliant thing, gift, I, I, I call it, that the Lord has given us. In the New Testament, we are commanded again and again to sing, to admonish one another with psalms, with hymns, and with spiritual songs. Dr. Bernard will be unpacking that for us from Colossians 3.16 on Thursday. Um, but again, we saw it in Ephesians 5.19, as though Paul was driving it home to the body of Christ as of his day and by extension to every one of us that will read it to remind us that there is something precious. There is something that helps you to lay claim on what God has promised beyond just um, listening to a sermon like this, embedded in the gift of song. God is passionate about singing. In fact, God himself sings. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the scripture bears witness in all of these instances. It says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 from the message, don't be afraid, dear Zion. Don't despair. Your God is present among you as a strong warrior, dear to save you. He will calm you with his love. He will delight you with his songs. He will delight you with his songs. God himself will sing you to sing you to the fulfillment of what he has said concerning you. He will delight you with his song. Concerning Jesus, Bible says in Matthew 26, 30, after the Lord's Supper, he says, and when they had sung a hymn, 
They went out to the month of olives when they had sung a hymn. There are just some one-liners like that that you find about Jesus that, of course, John said in John 21, if everything that you did were to be written, the the books of the whole world cannot contain it. But there are just some snippets here and there that you see in the Gospels that shows you that there is more to that. It's just that there is not enough room to begin to unpack it. So while you may not find exactly um, a passage that talks about Jesus singing this way or that way, the fact that he took, he, they were intentional about singing the hymn after he had the Last Supper with his disciples is instructive that even Jesus sang. And of course, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, that when it comes upon us, say, don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit and your heart will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord. There is a direct correlation between being filled with the Spirit and bursting forth, breaking forth into a joyful song. If you are filled, it says your heart will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord. And then it goes on to say, keep speaking to each other with words of scripture, singing the Psalms with praises and spontaneous songs that are given by the spirit. That's Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in some other translation. All that's to say we worship a triune God who sings and who wants us to be like him, who wants us to be like him. The context into which Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah 54 is the people that had been forsaken by God for a while, for a season, by virtue of their disobedience, they are in captivity. They've spent years in captivity as the Lord himself has said he was going to do to them. If you continue to read that chapter, it goes on to say that he was angry with them for a little while, but but now he's coming back to them as a husband to the wife. He says, your maker, is your husband, and is pronouncing that restoration of joy and peace and the fulfillment of all that he has in stock for them upon them. God is passionate about singing. He's passionate about singing. The second thing I want us to remember and take note of is that singing helps us to remember God's word. Singing helps us, actually singing helps us to remember anything, whatever it is that you have put music to. I can quote to you today Avogadro's Law, which I learned 20 years or 21 years ago, simply because, not because I've had anything to do with Avogadro's Law since that particular time, but because I memorized it by a song. And if you wake me up tomorrow, I can sing that song and quote it out for you. And I I know you don't want to hear this song because some of you are laughing because you probably also learned it by the same song. It's, It's interesting that what you learn by music sometimes just stick even whether or not you need it, it's just there and it's, it's recallable at any point in time. We are limited as human beings in our ability to memorize things or remember things unless we use such devices like rhymes, like poetry, like music, like songs. And God himself did that in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, in Deuteronomy 31, God himself used music to help his people to remember his word. He gave Moses a song for the people. He says in verse 19 to 21 of that chapter, this is when Moses was about to die. He's already handing over to Joshua, showing Joshua to the people as the successor and all of that, and giving his final instructions to the Israelites. And God said to Moses, copy down this song and teach the people of Israel to sing it by heart. They will have it then as my witness against them because God knows they are going to be disobedient. 
but he wants that he wants to give them something that will continue to to recall in their hearts, to to remind them of his truth, of his law, of his word, of his promises. He says, your children, their children will not forget this song. They will be singing it. Deuteronomy 31 from verse 19 to 21. And so when, when you are in the midst of issues of life, challenges of life, God has, he has a thing for bringing a song in season for his own people. How many of us at different points in time have been inspired by the words of a particular hymn in terms of what you are going through at the moment? There are times that God has used songs like that, especially all these classic hymns that we have in the redemption hymn now, to teach us doctrine. Sometimes even much more that you will understand it much more than you would when someone just stands and starts opening Bible verses upon Bible verses for you. The day I heard this aim, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That is the book of Colossians summarized in one stanza. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I need no other argument. I don't need any other explanation. It is enough. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And that has that, that stayed with me. That continues to be a go-to song at the season of my life to continue to remind myself when the devil comes with his accusations, it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. So singing helps us to remember God's word. And of course, that implies necessarily that it's not just enough that we sing. It's also important to sing correctly, to know what we are singing, to sing what is sound biblically. You don't want to just give yourself over to any and every kind of music. You want to sing songs that, that, that makes the scripture dance. You want to sing songs that gives life to God's word. You want to sing songs that reaffirm to you that which is the veritable truth from the word of God. And that brings me to the last part, which is actually where I'm going, that singing is a weapon of war. Singing is a weapon of war. And a classic example of that is in 2 Chronicles 20, is a story that we are all very familiar with. Different kingdoms and kings came together, and they are going to come against King Jehoshaphat of, of Judah. And of course, he went before the Lord together with all the people, and they just cried out to God. And Bible says that as they were there in worship, having recounted how God has helped them and helped their fathers in times past, and say, it is in your hand, oh God, there is nothing that we can do. Just come and help us because we are totally powerless. Bible says a group of coatites, a, a, a clan amongst the Levites that are given the responsibility of music, they rose up and they began to sing. And as they are singing, the word of prophecy came forth. And God said to them, don't worry, fear not, this battle is mine. This battle is mine. As a direct consequence of that, when Jehoshaphat was going to go to war the next morning, he didn't choose armies to go in front. He chose singers. He chose people that would just go forth singing the praise of God, <laughs> leading the army of the, of the whole community, of the whole kingdom to battle. And what the Bible says happened because of that, Second Chronicles 20 verse 22 says, at the moment they began to sing, the moment they began to sing and to praise, the Lord caused the armies of Hammon, of Moab, and Monsea, all of these kingdoms that came together 
they began to fight among themselves and they destroyed each other. Their enemies came together to finish themselves off. All that the, the people of Judah had to do was just to continue to sing and to praise God. And indeed, just as God had said, he gave a promise. He says, this is my battle. I'm going to fight it. And exactly as he has said it, he did it. They did not have to lift a finger. The only thing they had to do was to continue to pack spoils of war for three days. They had more than enough to go back with. Imagine you going to carry spoils from a war that you did not even fight. But why, why did that happen? It happened by the reason of one of the most powerful gifts that God has given the body of Christ, singing, singing, singing. Your praise confuses the enemies. Your praise confuses the enemy. My wife had that pasted on one of our wardrobes for years until that statement jumped off the wardrobe into somewhere in my heart to know that whenever you, you are feeling the force of the opposition of the adversary, there is a secret weapon that you have, your song, your praise, your song. So it comes in Isaiah 54 verse 1 to a people that naturally by their circumstance and, and scenario, they are hopeless. They are in bondage. They are in captivity. They are, like Pastor was saying last week, whispering to themselves, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? There was no reason for joy. There was no reason for hope. And yet it comes forth breaking through all of that circumstantial baggage and says, sing, O barren woman. And of course, when he's saying barren, he's not just talking of a literal woman. He's talking of the nation of Israel. He's talking of these people that have become unproductive that become, as it were, infertile in some sense. And of course, one of the beautiful things about the prophecies of Isaiah is when he speaks like that, he's speaking to his context, he's speaking into the church age, and by extension, he's speaking into our individual life. So you can take any prophecy from Isaiah and apply it to your life because that man was that sound and spot on when it comes to prophecies. He was a man that stood and heard God correctly. And so it's when he says, sing, Oh, barren, are you unproductive in any area of your life? God is saying he wants us to expand. He's saying he wants us to break forth to the right, to the left. He wants us to claim lands that we had itato, thought was unclaimable. He wants to give us possessions that are literally speaking beyond our size. But it, it doesn't just happen miraculously. It happens because we trust him. It happens because we have faith in him. And if our faith is a confident obedience to his word, then we want to do what verse 1 says in order to enjoy what verse 3 says. Sing, 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 O barren. The way we should meet the enemy, when God has told us that he's the one fighting the battle, the way we should meet the enemy was modeled for us by Josephat and his army is to go with songs of victory, songs of praise, and songs of thanksgiving. Another couple of people that did that in the Bible that was also equally stupendous in its, in its, in its magnitude was Paul and Silas. Here was a, it were two servants of God that were doing the work of God. You know the story, Acts chapter 16, from verse 16 downwards to the end of the chapter, literally. But having beaten them mercilessly, having torn their robes, having put them in prison and locked up their legs and, and made them immovable. The Bible says that in the midnight, 
I like the way it was put in the voice translation, and I want you to, to, to read along with me. He actually painted it like a scenario that is inviting you to read. So voice translation, Acts 16, 25 to 26, it says, picture this, it is midnight in the darkness of their cell. So don't, don't, don't mind the picture you saw on the last slide. Their cell was not that illuminated. There was no electricity. In the darkness of their cell, Paul and Silas, after surviving the severe beating, they were not moaning, they were not groaning, they were doing two things, praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners in the adjoining cells, they were wide awake, they were listening to them pray and sing. And as a result, what happened? Suddenly the ground begins to shake and the prison foundations begin to crack. You can hear the sound of jangling chains. You can hear the squeak of cell doors opening. Every prisoner suddenly realized that their chains had become unfastened. They suddenly realized because two people that understood the mysterious power that is embedded in what God has given them were speaking to God, but at the same time singing the victory that they are open to receive. And of course, you know the story. The victory is not just for them about escaping from the prison. It was more than that. The miracle in that story was that a whole family came to know the Lord because some people, in spite of their circumstances, in spite of, their, of the consequences of what they were doing, they dared to obey the word of God. The same Paul that will go on to write. So when he's saying to the Ephesians or the Colossians, admonish one another with psalms, with hymns, and with spiritual song. I, I, can, I can imagine him writing that and, and reflecting back on this experience to say, if only you know the power, if only you know the, 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 the great miraculous power that is packaged and accessible to each and every one of you and that you will use it in that, in that sense. I, I, I can recall at this moment uh, that when I was in, in, in uni, in my final year, when I was the president of the fellowship that was pastoring the tax fund in, in Ife, um, there was an instance when um, we had this, uh, a, a political, um, there's always a season when people uh, come, they contest for offices. But the Lord specifically gave us a direction in the fellowship, and I shared it with all of the fellowship members that God said, none of you in this fellowship, in this particular round of elections, nobody should participate. And I made that clear, but maybe I was too, I don't know, maybe I looked too small or whatever. Some people did not take it seriously. And so there was a particular student, a member of our fellowship that went on and contested to become the chairperson of our hostel, and she won. And immediately they announced that as the winner. The, the, the next day she started misbehaving, started speaking things that were not congruent. Before we knew it, they took her to the hospital. It was a mental case, basically. She was just speaking gibberish. The only sensible thing she was saying every time she comes back to her senses was they should go and call her fellowship pastor, and that's me. And so the, the, the school located me, invited me, I came to the health center, and she mm. said, they just need me to get her to her parents. There is nothing that they can do over there. And she was living in a bardom. And of course, as we got wind of the issue, we told all the prayer people, we started praying for her. They were praying, they were taking turns and shifts to just continue to pray for her deliverance. And anytime I'm with her, she's calm, but the few times that she opens her mouth to talk, she was still speaking nonsense. In any case, long story short, we took her home, we took her back to Ibadan that morning. 
Um, and when we got home, we already told our parents ahead. So we went straight to the mission house of the Apostolic Church in one of the districts where our parents were attending. And as we got there, the pastor just gathered a few others together, myself and a few other people that we came together. And all we were doing was just singing. Ins upon ins, ins upon ins. In 30 minutes, she was restored. Ins upon ins. There was, there was no prayers. There was no... There was no dust yet, the Lord. It was just aims upon aims, and deliverance came speedily because the Lord Himself rode on the wings of those songs to do that which only He can do. Of course, to the glory of the Father. And so I, I, I'm tying up together to say, what if someone is here and saying, I don't know how to sing. I, you, if I start from key A, I will end in key Z. So maybe this is not for me. <laughs> Who says that you have to know how to sing before you sing? There is nowhere in the scripture where you find sing because you are gifted or sing if you are gifted enough to sing. It's just sing. God does not mind the key that you are using to sing as long as you are not in the choir. Don't join the choir if you don't have the gift. But in your bathroom, in your morning devotion, on the road, nobody is listening to you. They are not putting you on any stage. Just sing. Your father always loves the sound of your voice, irrespective of the key with which you are singing. And I'm saying that by experience. I'm going to play a 30 seconds clip of Joshua singing a song um, one Sunday when we got to the church very early before every other person came. And he started singing, switching from key to key. But you can tell that I, I didn't mind the key. The fact that he was singing was just enough for me. Amen, amen. 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 Well done. He finished singing and he even encouraged himself in the Lord. In spite of the fact that all that he has sung was just moved from one key to the other. In spite of the fact that he can't pronounce hallelujah correctly. In spite of the fact that he was just rumbling and calling it music. But as far as I was concerned that morning, as far as his mom was concerned that morning, it was a delight to watch him sing. All that's to say this, you don't have to know how to sing. Just sing. Just sing. The, the, the bills are staring you in the face. Just open your mouth and sing. I remember the day that uh, when I was applying for the first visa to come to the UK for my Bible college studies, and I went to collect the thing at Ikeja. And as I was collecting and opening, you know how that you want to be sure, did they give me, did they not give me? And I saw a rejection. Immediately at that very instant, a song welled up in my spirit. It was the song for that season. It was a song by, by um, Shola Alise, My soul has known rest. And so I knew when I saw what I was reading and the song that was welling up in me that was contrary to the report, I knew that was not the end of the story. My soul has found rest. In three days after that, the story was reversed. I got an email back from Abuja requesting that I should just send only my passports. 
only they don't need any other document just send your passport back to us and in two weeks after that the visa was delivered why because my soul has found rest that was the song i kept singing on the bus on my way back home that no the lord could not have authored this journey to this point and then let me down so i'm just charging us up this morning to to say where is your song there is always a song for whatever season that you are in. Be sensitive to receive it. Right now, as I'm speaking this word, perhaps God is already laying a song on your heart. Grab it. It's a tool. It's not just a song. If you are singing it from your heart, if your heart is connected to that song, you are actually emanating power. You are engaging warfare on another level, on another level. And lastly, <clears throat> Leverage on the vast array of psalms, of hymns, and of spiritual songs that are available to us today. We are in an exciting time in church history. Never has there been a time in the world when there is so much uh, uh, access to limitless resources in terms of anything spiritual. Anything spiritual. There was a season in church history when people are not permitted to sing congregationally. Only the priest could sing, and they would sing either in Latin or in some foreign language that even the congregation could not understand. There was a season like that. But today, from the corner of your house, if you want a song of someone in Kenya or someone in Zimbabwe or someone in Tanzania or someone in Costa Rica, wherever, you have access to worship along with people that God has gifted, both with the words, the depth, and the lyrics and the melody that can ignite your own singing, singing gifts in, in spite of whatever keys that might look like. Let's leverage on that. If you, are, if you don't know what to sing, go on YouTube, search for the theme that you are looking for. you find a song that tallies with it. Open your redemption in now. Open the Psalms. Those 150 Psalms are written originally as songs. You see that some of them have even musical notes attached to them. To the, to the choir director, to be played with instrument of eight strings. You see all of those connotations. Take them, chant them, sing them, recite them, and, and ingest them. Let them live in you and let God do that which only he can do through you. For you to break forth to the right and to the left, as I conclude, as God has promised us, you need to break forth into singing like someone who has laid hold on that promise. Whatever the promise is, Sing like someone that, has, that is already holding its faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let God give you a song for this season and don't stop singing it. Father God, we thank you because your word is alive. We thank you because you are a God who sings. We, we, we thank you for Zephaniah 3.17 that assures us and reminds us delightfully that you will delight us with your song. We are asking, oh God, that you will help us to join you in that mission to make music in a way that gives and opens up space for you to do that which only you can do, to do that which you are famous for, to do that which you are known for, to do that which the faith of our fathers had wrought on their behalf through your power and your enablement and only to your glory and to your glory alone. This is our desire as a church. And we receive it with thanksgiving. In Jesus' unfailing name, we have prayed. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.